On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about the election. Last chance before the ballots are counted. Stick around. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Let us get into the last few moments of election talk before we, um, I was going to say before we know what we're talking about. I, I like to think we've had some idea what we're talking about beforehand, before the veil is pulled back on some numbers. That's a nicer way to say it, because I assure you, my first guest today knows what she's talking about. Uh, she, her name is Kate Harrison. She is the vice chair of Summer Strategies. She joins us now. Kate, how are you tonight? Thanks for um, thanks for setting the expectation about knowing where I'm talking about. I don't have a crystal ball, but I'll try to make sense of it for for your listeners. Nobody knows what the numbers are, except one of the uh, one of the um, polls that was coming out was talking about how all the mail in ballots were looking, and I thought, well, that's interesting how they know. Now I know they were asking people who mailed in their ballots. Still, that that immediately caused some people already to go, wait a second, who's spilling information? Nonetheless, uh, Kate. Let's get right down to it. Do you are, are you someone who goes on gut feelings here? Do you have a gut feeling on how this is going tonight? I, I my only feeling, the only thing I'm predictable or I'm confident in saying right now is that uh, it's probably going to be a long night. Uh, you know, we started this election wondering how big Justin Trudeau's majority government would be, and now we are in a position today where it is really too close to call. So there's a bunch of dynamics at play. Um, one of the biggest ones, of course, is just the, the fact we are having this in a pandemic has changed how people are voting. You raise a really good point, Scott, about mail-in ballots, and that's certainly a consideration for the about a million people that they expect will uh, will vote that way. Uh, but it also has meant for a different experience today at polling locations. There's fewer of them uh, because of covid uh, people, of course, uh, have to social distance, and uh, that means being in kind of longer lines and spaced out. Uh, and so, you know, we could very well be in a situation based on some of the reports coming out around around wait times where we may not, despite polls closing at nine, have a sense uh, at all for a couple of hours um, or 930, excuse me, in Ontario. We might not have a sense for a few hours after that about how things are actually shaping up at least in Ontario, then you factor in, uh, of course, the provinces by a time change that are open a little bit later. Uh, and I think it's going to be a very long mm. night based on how razor thin the margins are right now. I tend to agree with you, although obviously I have no insight, you know, deep inside information or anything. Nobody does, except for one thing, Kate, and that is I always think back to 2016, where the polls said Hillary Clinton was going to roll over Donald mm. Trump. We know what happened there. Uh, we saw just a few weeks ago in Nova Scotia where it was supposed to be a lopsided victory and it turned out to be a lopsided victory, just the complete opposite way from what everyone was telling us. So I'm looking at this going, yeah, you're probably right. And that's that would make a lot of sense. On the other hand, I don't know that I would fall off my couch shocked if an hour into this thing, it was way, way, way different from what we've heard. Yeah, that that could be. You, you point to a couple of recent upsets that that public opinion data has not really captured. Um, it, it wouldn't uh, shock me either, but I do think we have to remember kind of the deficit that the conservatives were starting from when they entered this thing, um, and you know the fact that Aaron O'Toole had only been in the position for about a year. Of course, running against an incumbent is really. Uh, really challenging, and with the exception of Nova Scotia, incumbent governments have been returned to power. Uh, as it's shaping up right now, it does look as though um, the Liberals will probably have a minority, maybe under a weakened mandate, right? 
Uh, and they are going to have a really difficult time justifying why this election was necessary uh, if that is the case. Trudeau said he needed effectively needed more power to accomplish his post-pandemic agenda. Uh, and if Canadians return that government with a weakened, uh, weakened mandate, effectively they're telling him, well, we don't buy that and you need to get back to work. And now he's even more beholden to the other opposition parties in order to make that happen. So uh, I, I think we're looking at definitely a bit of a chaotic environment, um, regardless of the outcome, because even if the Conservatives do pull a rabbit out of the hat and, uh, you know, uh, overperform, uh, there's going to be a lot of chaos in Ottawa just with a government change um, and, and trying to get the country back on track, frankly, with some really big uh, challenges in the window right away of vaccine passports and mandates being chief among them. I want to get to some of the scenarios right after this break, although I must say about the about the polls, I've never understood when the polls are so wrong, it has to mean that some people are not telling the truth when the pollsters call them. And I've never understood in an anonymous poll why you would lie. But nonetheless, that's uh, that's one of the mysteries of time and space. Uh, we're going to take a break. The, and just come... really, really quickly want yeah, to say what, yeah. what polls don't capture, they have a very difficult time capturing voter motivation. So if yeah. you are motivated enough to pick up the phone and answer a public opinion survey or participate in one online, you're probably a little bit more plugged in than uh, other voters. So I think that, you know, we don't necessarily capture through public opinion data um, the majority, of course, of the electorate. So uh, it's really hard to get a sense of how eager someone is to turn up and vote or not based on that information. And that's kind of what we saw play out in the United States. Eager is a great word. Uh, you already talked about the sort of the, the situation that the Liberals face if they win a minority here, where they're going to have to answer for why did we do this and do they have some sort of real platform or real reason to govern at this point? What if it's a conservative minority? What have the what have the people said? What have the voters said if they elect a conservative minority? I think there's two things to take away from that outcome. Number one, uh, it would be a approval of of Erin O'Toole's uh, move to try and expand the tent and bring new voters into the fold. Um, You know, we'll have to see how the popular vote shakes out. Obviously, the Conservatives uh, won the popular vote last time. If he manages to form a minority government, uh, that will likely be on the backs of uh, suburban ridings uh, like those in Ontario, some in British Columbia as well. Uh, And I think that that will be a thumbs up from voters that they know the Conservative Party message uh, is changing and that they have made a real effort here to try and connect a bit more with voters, uh, I would say, in the in the middle on a number of values and issues questions. So I think it's an, appro- an approval of that message. But it's also, to be honest, a, a condemnation of Justin Trudeau uh, and the necessity of this election um, and really just the the blindness and, and his inability to read the electorate and the mood. Um, in order to try and grab more power. So I think that those are the two takeaways if it does end up being a conservative minority tonight. It's, as you mentioned a few moments ago, it seems unlikely, but what is what is the message from the people if the Liberals win a majority? Well, uh, then there's a lot of tough, tougher questions for the opposition, right? I think, I think if we are looking at a, a Liberal majority, we have to take into consideration that people are very anxious right now. Um, it is a very tense time. Uh, it is difficult to try and push through a message uh, of change when that um, when that's the environment and that's the case. I think a lot of people may be so frustrated uh, by where we're at in the nature of the pandemic that they, again, just really want to see people get back to work and perhaps 
the calculation was made that they would go with who they know. Uh, certainly, I think there's going to be there would be tough questions for the opposition about how they were not able to capitalize on that frustration a lot of the electorate had about why we were doing this to begin with. Um, but you know, we're putting the card a bit before the horse there. But obviously, anything less than a majority, I think, for Justin Trudeau is a failure. What about the idea, what, what is the electorate saying or what do we take away if the People's Party hits 10% or close to it as some polls are actually suggesting they may be reaching? Yeah, I mean, that's going to be one of the, the long tails, I think, of this election will be what role the PPC played, didn't play. Um, you know, did they actually have an impact, maybe not in grabbing seats, but in Spoiling a couple of ridings that were really close, uh, particularly, I think, for between uh, the Liberals and the Conservatives. Do they play a spoiler there? Um, but longer term, uh, there's going to have to be a bit of a bit more of an attempt to, to understand the PPC voter, um, not necessarily try and reason with them, because a lot of these folks that are voting PPC are doing so at a protest and they're upset by the system and, and whatnot. I think COVID has really exacerbated, frankly, the support that the PPC has, be it their approach to vaccine mandates uh, or lockdowns or masks or you name it. Um, but I, I think it would be wrong to dismiss the sentiment that is underpinning a lot of that PPC support. Uh, obviously, it says um, that they're not really happy with the political establishment. Um, whether or not they have the longevity to make that into a real viable political machine, I do question that. I think that, you know, they really thrive in a COVID environment and people's concerns right now. I haven't seen uh, Maxim Bernier's ability, frankly, to turn that into a viable political movement in the long term, but we'll have to see how they do tonight. Two more quick things. Um, one of them is Post Media had a poll that came out on Saturday said that 70% of Canadians say this election has increased the divisions in this country, which I found to be a predictable number, I think, but also a shocking number when you see it written down. How diff Whoever wins, how difficult is the job they face to try and govern when people seem to be just so divided on so many things? Well, yeah, and it's not just a matter, of course, of the, the vaccines and, and mandates being a divisive issue, but we have seen that play a factor in this campaign, and we have seen that, uh, public health, in my view, frankly, turned into a political wedge. Um, we need to try and move, whoever wins needs to try and move away from that immediately and make the focus really squarely on uh, the importance of, of getting vaccinated and, and being safe, uh, rather than trying to consistently, you know, beat those across the head who refuse or are hesitant uh, to do this. We need to try and approach some of those people uh, with empathy. But we also have a regional division, right? Um, there's a chance where, once again, the West walks out the Liberals, uh, and if the Liberals get back in, they are returned once again without a voice in Ottawa directly representing them. Um, of course, there is going. We still have a big question mark about how uh, things will turn out in Quebec. It looks like the bloc was maybe surging uh, after they were able to really capitalize on that exchange and the debate around Bill 21 and Quebec sovereignty, and, and frankly, play a little bit to Quebec nationalism. Uh, that may reward them. That is actually a sign of, of division with the rest of Canada. So the job is extreme. Um, of course, there's income inequality that the prime minister uh, is going to have to, to deal with and address, affordability, et cetera. I think it, it is a fair statement to say that we are a pretty divided country right now along a number of those, uh, those lines that I just mentioned. It's not an easy job. 
uh, for whoever's the leader, but certainly we shouldn't be looking to pour gasoline on mm. those fires by, uh, you know, naming and shaming uh, those who maybe have questions about the vaccine, for example, or trying to pit Western Canada against Quebec on other issues. We only have 30 seconds, but one more thing, and that is just last week we got that economic news about inflation going up, and that could continue. We don't really know. If we do get more bad economic news, does whoever comes into power immediately have to abandon some of their promises and say we've got to recalibrate, or do they forge ahead and say we're going to spend anyway? Uh, I mean, I think that there's there's got to be an attempt here to balance, right? Whoever comes in would have a difficult time uh, seem to be rolling back support programs that they promised to keep. Uh, if anything, I don't know that you'd necessarily see funding scaled back. If anything, I could see the timeline to get back to balance uh, extended out a little bit further. What Canadians have said over and over and over again um, through their electoral choices is that they want to make sure that government is there for them to offer programs that they need uh, rather than a slash and burn approach. So, uh, you know, from a conservative perspective, of course, you want to have a path to balance. You don't even have that right now with the liberals. They haven't given a timeline at all. Uh, but not at the expense of supports and programs that we currently do need in this emergency environment. Kate Harrison from Summer Strategies, next time we chat with you, we'll, uh, we'll be breaking down what happened with this and uh, maybe go back to some of, your, some of the comments and find out if we still think that's why things happened the way they did, because we don't know. We're going to find out in a few hours. Uh, Kate, always appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this. That's great. Thanks so much, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. You know what? The rest of the evening, up until you go to bed tonight, is going to be heavy and hefty and deep and important. And so for the next few minutes, we're doing the opposite of all that. It is time for Ben's story of the day. Your, your oasis right now in the midst of hours of heaviness. Here it goes. I'm gonna, ben is back at the home office. Ben is the guy who keeps us on the air by doing all the good technical work. I'm bringing Ben in here, and Ben is going to be given three stories from around planet Earth, and he will then decide which one he likes best, and that one becomes Ben's story of the day. Ben, let us start in Pennsylvania today, where a baby shower was happening. Congratulations to the couple. Exactly. In Lower Burrell is the name of the city. It's near Pittsburgh. My question is, how bad does a baby shower have to go for police to be called because shots have been fired, apparently over gifts? Wow. What kind of gifts are you giving? The, what are you doing at a baby shower to merit that? Police say a family argument broke out over presents <laughs> that turned physical before someone pulled out a gun and started shooting. Air quotations around family, because let's, yikes. But think from... of, I mean, think of, okay, so what's a typical baby gift? Now, you've not had a baby shower. I mean, maybe when you were a baby, but not as an adult. And, and even if you had, it's probably your wife or fiance who's going to be at it. But nonetheless, us guys know enough about it to know you sit around and, you know, you get strollers and diaper baby clothes. And, yeah, diaper genies and maybe a, a basket or something. Any. What present could possibly incite gunfire? <laughs> Used diapers, maybe? Here's what you can expect. It's a preview. A preview. Yeah, we're going to give you a previously enjoyed diaper. <laughs> when you were a baby, this was the first one you had. We've kept it all these years in celebration. Three people taken to hospital with gunshots, wo gunshot wounds. None of them are going to die. They're all going to be okay. 
still, it is just remarkable to me that a joyous occasion like that, that something, some present must have been so outrageously bad that someone decided they had to start shooting people. That, that's <laughs> extreme. Slightly. Story number two comes from Indiana, where a guy is going to be uh, spending a couple months in jail for improper use of the 911 system. Um, he uh, made four phone calls from his house in the same evening to 911 to alert them to the fact that he was tired. <laughs> what do you want them to do about it? That's the question I had. See, if you said I'm wide awake and I'm going crazy, it still doesn't make it any better, but at least, you know, maybe they have a, a solution. What? I'm tired. Go to sleep. Close your eyes. Uh, his phone calls, by the way, came a day after he pleaded guilty to misuse of the 911 system. <laughs> <laughs> this is not, this is not a fast learner. This guy would, would qualify as doesn't get it very quickly. Um, he needs a bigger charge, whatever it is, because don't hold up 911 operators like that. That's not, it's not, no, Don't and we it. joke about it. We joke about it only because it's so stupid. It's not funny that, you know, like think of, I mean, how, well, I don't want, this is supposed to be a lighthearted segment. If someone couldn't get through because you were doing this, you know, I mean, obviously there's a reason why these, why calling 911 and abusing it is wrong and is illegal. Nonetheless, of all the dumbest reasons to call, this would have to be in the top handful. Oh, absolutely. There's a few others I could think of that would be dumber. Or maybe more embarrassing, but uh, more useless? Uh, I don't know that there's too many more that would be more useless than this one. Yeah. Story number three, speaking of dumb. This, uh, so we had the story about the baby shower. Traditionally a woman's area. Traditionally, not always. Maybe that's changing a bit, but traditionally a woman's thing. Let's flip over now to something that's traditionally a guy's thing, Ben. Specifically a young guy's thing. Oh, a young teenager, perhaps who's, you know, going through puberty and things on his body are changing. And, you know, most guys, I think at one time or another, whether they want to admit it or not, have found some kind of measuring device, <laughs> taking it to the <laughs> sanctity and sanctum of their private suite and, you know, done a little measuring. We all know what I'm talking about. We don't have to go into great details. But I, I would be hard-pressed to believe any guy listening has not, when they were very young, done this at least once or wondered. So, so we go to, where do we go to here? In the United Kingdom, in London, in, in England, a young 15-year-old boy had to be taken to hospital. I don't know if he had to be taken or he walked in. It's unclear why. Because he... Um, he was curious and he tried to do, do some measuring of himself. However, rather than the obvious simple solution, which is to pull out the tape measure or a ruler or a yardstick, if you're really optimistic, <laughs> he, for reasons that nobody can quite explain, put a USB cable inside himself. How? How does that know. happen? I don't even know. I'm reading this off Forbes. It's a it's a credible publication. He somehow put this into his own body and then 
thought that would be the more accurate way to measure things from the inside out. And then, of course, it wouldn't come out and he had to go to the hospital. If it works like a computer, maybe it'll work for me. I can transfer my memories into the computer. <laughs> yeah, if this was about transferring information, it was doing it the wrong way. Anyway, <laughs> uh, yes, they had, they had to uh, surgically deal with this. Extricate what a the cable. What a horrendous decision. An immature decision by a young man who uh, I'm sure will now never do anything like this again and regrets it massively or minimally. Fingers are crossed. Will your story of the day as a result be the story of the shots fired during a baby shower because the presents didn't apparently live up to expectations? I think that's how what the reason was. Will it be the guy who repeatedly called 911 to report that he was tired or will it be the 15 year old boy in the United Kingdom who tried to take stock of his manhood, but did it the entirely wrong way. And as a result required surgery, something about this USB, there are so many questions and I don't know if we need or want the answers to them. That's that's a uh, that's a valid point you make. I don't know that we need or want any further details than what we already have. But yeah, I'll just leave it there. It's just it is it's too baffling to think that somebody would think this was a good idea for any reason. The Scott Radley Show, weekday evenings from six to eight on nine hundred CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.